The hit TV show, The Office, was so great at, at taking characters that, that uh, personalities that, that show up in every kind of office environment and, and magnifying those. One of the uh, more extreme characters was uh, the character of Dwight Schrute. And a consistent storyline throughout the sitcom, throughout the series, was Dwight's uh, efforts at trying to attain power. The, the series began with him uh, being kind of uh, just, in order to appease him, given the title of assistant to the regional manor, manager, even though he uh, constantly envisions himself as being the assistant regional manager. By the end of the series, Dwight Schrute is finally given the title of uh, regional manager. And his uh, kind of nemesis and also friend in the show, uh, Jim Halpert, convinces him that he needs somebody to, um, to be the assistant. And so he appoints Jim to be the assistant to the regional manager. But now he needs an assistant to the assistant to the regional manager. And they hold a contest within the office to try and declare who is going to be the assistant to the assistant. And it, it ends up being Dwight himself. Because after all, no one can be trusted quite like Dwight. I think that there is a little bit of Dwight in all of us. Former Navy SEAL Jocko Willink has uh, started writing uh, some children's novels uh, called the Warrior Kid series, which uh, a young boy is um, kind of picked on at school, and in, in the fifth grade they they have to do the, uh, the all the, the the health fitness tests, and he can't do a single pull up, and he's made fun of for for that. And he has an uncle who is a in the the, the Navy, and he comes to spend the summer with him and trains this, this fifth grader to become a warrior. I've seen a number of parents posting images of their children as they read these books and as they come up with their own kind of warrior code, as they, they begin to wake up early to work out. And, and one uh, parent shared... Uh, a, po a picture of his four-year-old son that he had been reading this book to and the four-year-old was standing in the bathroom flexing in the mirror looking at his new muscles that he was gaining from uh, doing the pull-ups. And he uh, was asking Jocko to include in the next book um, some lessons about humility. Because as the children start to, to begin to work out, you know, they, they do one workout and they think that they have all of these muscles. And I laughed at that until I started to realize that I think there is a little bit of that in all of us. Whenever I began a new workout program and I, I start to get a little bit sore, I, I find myself rubbing the soreness and after a while I don't know that I'm so much rubbing the soreness as much as I think I can feel a few new muscles there. Rick Warren in his best-selling book The Purpose Driven Life began that book with the words it's not about you. 
And those words were so powerful because we often make it about us. But it's not about us. It's not about you. Life is not about you. In this series of our study on the book of Acts, I want you to, to, to kind of put yourself into to this story and, and look at it from the, the perspective of a consumer. How, how do you go about recruiting the new disciples? At this point in our story in Acts chapter 7 and 8, um, they, they are facing a lot of persecution. And so, so if you are trying to, to reach out and, and make a new disciple, I mean, what, what do you say to somebody? You know, are you bored with your life? You, you're kind of too comfortable and, and, and you want to travel the world because you have to flee for your own safety? Do you, do you long to fear that you're going to be beheaded? I mean, that is the, the, the situation that they are in here. Look at the, the first verse of Acts chapter 8. It says that on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And what is so remarkable about them leaving is that they don't, immediately go into the witness protection program. They don't, they don't dye their hair. They don't, they don't kind of try and evade any, any detection of, of connection with this story. Instead, verse 4 tells us that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip, he went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. This city, Messiah, or this area, this region, Messiah, Samaria, it is an intentional location that is being described in this story. Because Jesus said to his disciples before he left the world that they would take this message to Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now Samaria was a, a location that the Jewish people, it was a, a region that, that they had a 1,000 year old rivalry. Back when Israel was taken into captivity, this region was settled by a number of other nations and they began to intermarry with all of these other people. So they are, they're half-breeds. And on top of that, they started to adopt some of their practices of religion. And while the Samaritans, they still claimed that they were, they were following the same God, the Jewish people, they refused to acknowledge the Samaritans as being Jews. In fact, whenever the Jewish people rebuilt the temple during the time of of Herod, they refused to allow the Samaritans to come over and help. So the Samaritans, they built their own rival temple. That's why whenever Jesus was going through this area, through Samaria, and he has a conversation with a woman, one of the questions that she brings up is that 
your people say that in order to worship God, it has to be on this mountain, but our, our people say that it's on this mountain. Where do they worship? And what she doesn't understand is she is speaking to the one about which Stephen spoke later. The words that, that Burke read for us just a moment ago, that the, the Most High does not live in houses made by humans. And the prophet said that heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? What Stephen is doing in this speech is he is telling the people that the temple is not needed anymore because Jesus is the temple. That Jesus is the high priest. Jesus has come to fulfill all of that. Now, Philip has gone and he's taken the message to Samaria. And they become believers in Jesus. There, there are, are hundreds, maybe even thousands of people that they are, are now believing that Jesus is the Messiah. One of those is a man named Simon. Verse 9 tells us that for some time, this man Simon had practiced sorcery in the city. And he had amazed all the people in Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the power of God. And whenever Luke describes Simon as being a magician, don't think of, of a man in a tuxedo pulling a rabbit out of a hat. But instead, magic, it was, it was the, the use of tools and techniques, um, sayings that... It, it gained you access to the gods. It was a, a form of manipulating the gods to get what you wanted out of life. The Bible constantly describes the world as, as more enchanted than what we may believe or even like it to be. For example, there's this story in the Old Testament of uh, King Saul. And... King Saul had a, a, a man that was kind of his access to God, to God. It was Samuel. But Samuel had died. And now uh, Saul, he, he doesn't really have an access to God. And so uh, as he is preparing for battle against the Philistines, Saul tries to get some information from God about this, this, this battle that they are in. But God doesn't answer him. So Saul goes searching for a spiritist, for a medium, for a, a, a fortune teller of sorts, in order to call up the spirit of Samuel. And what's fascinating is that the Bible doesn't condemn those acts because they're, they're a waste of time, because they're foolish. But rather the Bible condemns them because it places us in the wrong position in this world. That it starts to to make us think that we have more control than what we do. That we can, if we have the right information, if we use the right chant or the right mantra, that we can control God and get what we want out of life. Because Saul, he actually calls up 
Samuel. The spirit of Samuel. And Samuel tells Saul that God is doing exactly what he predicted through me. That you're going to lose this battle. And you're going to die. Your entire household is going to die. The throne is going to be ripped from your family. See, the Bible condemns these kinds of acts not because they're foolish, but because they are idolatry. And Simon is one who is practicing these kinds of arts. And he had convinced everyone in the world that he was someone great. And now, Simon becomes a follower of Jesus. And letting go of that reputation had to have been hard for him. I love having access to the internet and and uh, on the internet there there are uh, cartoons and television shows that, that I grew up with. And so uh, I can introduce those to my children anytime that I, I want so that I can I can watch them. It's really more about my interests. And, and one of the shows that, that uh, it, it started with our oldest and it's kind of been carried on with all of them is whenever they are sick, uh, we begin to watch He-Man. And uh, He-Man is, is one of those kind of Superman-like characters that he, he uh, you know, looks uh, incons- inconspicuous uh, until the moment whenever he's needed and then he pulls the sword out and he is transformed and he has these, these bulging muscles. And our oldest, um, particularly whenever she was younger, I had her convinced that I looked like Superman whenever my shirt was off. But over time, she no longer sees me in that light. And it's, it's kind of hard for me to let go of that image. And it must have been for Simon as well. Look at verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give, them, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Repent of this wickedness. Pray to the Lord in the hope that uh, He may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. While Simon had followed Jesus, he, like so many of us, had not yet given up everything to follow Jesus. That he was still functioning under this paradigm that, that, that I can control the gods and now Jesus is just the latest tool that he can put in, into his tool belt that he can control the gods. Eugene Peterson says that the devil wants us to do the same. To follow Jesus, but then use Jesus to fulfill needs. First our own, and then the needs of all the hungry people around us. This is the temptation to deal with myself and others first and foremost as consumers. It is the temptation to define life 
in consumer terms and then devise plans and programs to accomplish them in Jesus' name. In other words, what Eugene Peterson says, that that some of our greatest temptation is not to disbelieve in Jesus, but rather to take Jesus and use His name as a stamp of approval for our agenda, for what we want to accomplish in this world. And that's exactly what Simon is doing. That Simon has just come and he's using Jesus to to try and maintain the reputation that he has. He is more concerned about his power and prestige in the community than he is in lifting up those who are powerless. And so Peter has some very strong words to say to Simon. That you have no share, you have no part in the word because of this for the rest of our time i want you to look at what what simon's mistakes are what simon says first of all is that you you love things and you use people Our culture consistently asks the question, what's in it for me? And we are unwilling to engage in any activity unless there is some benefit for me. There was a a college student a couple of years ago named Brett Cohen that that, uh, wanted to perform a, a social experiment in New York City. So he hired a couple of friends to, to um, pose as, as bouncers and as paparazzi. And he came out of a hotel and dressed up as if he were a movie star just to see if people would start to, to um, try and get his autograph or to take a picture with him. And his friends started interacting with a crowd that began to gather around. And they started asking if they've heard of Brett Cohen and what they know about him. And they all start to, to imagine that they've seen him in the, the latest movie, which was Spider-Man at the time, or that they had heard his latest album. And all the while, this kid has not done anything at all except hire some friends to take pictures of him. And you've got to wonder, why are these people making up these stories of, of their connection with him? Why are they trying to take pictures with him? It's not because they actually love him. It's not because they know anything at all about him. It's because they think th- by, by being associated with him, it makes them more important. We have a, a tendency to get things backwards that we... We show more loyalty to um, our devices than the people that those devices are intended to connect us with. We show more commitment to our, our favorite restaurant than the people that we share the meal with. This is why we, we treat relationships as so disposable and it's not just marriages it's our our commitment our our connection with churches as well 
that if we don't feel like we are getting what we deserve out of it, then we can just trade it in for something else, that, that we, we view everything as a commodity, including God and the church. Secondly, Simon says that, that everything has a price. He comes to the apostles and he says, this, this thing that you can do, I want to do it too, so tell me how much. And I love the way that, that Peter responds. He says, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God. Jeff Vines had to confront his son, who was a preteen at the time, about the amount of time that he was spending on video games. And his, his, his normal um, argument was that video games make you stupid. But for uh, preteen boys, that doesn't really hold a whole lot of uh, significance to them. And so uh, in, in this conversation, he's continuing to try and provide more evidence and more reasoning as to why he needs to turn off the video games, go outside and play, do something creative. And it wasn't long before his son pulls out a dollar bill and he says, Dad, maybe George Washington can change your mind. And Jeff says, how absurd for him to think that he could take a dollar that I gave to him he doesn't have a job. He, he's not out earning money. So it's money that originated with me. And he thinks he can take that money and buy something from me. He, he has a misunderstanding of the kind of relationship that we have. That I'm not his employer. I'm his dad. And everything he has is, is because of my love, my generosity to him. You cannot buy something that is a gift. The gospel says that what we have, it is a gift from God. The spirit that is within you, the, the salvation, it is a gift from God. And faith cannot be a means to an end. Because by its very definition, faith is an end to self. Whenever Jesus was going around calling people to follow Him, He told them in Luke 14, verse 27, that whoever does not carry their cross and follow Me cannot be My disciple. It is impossible to go through life with the mindset of what's in it for me and be a disciple of Jesus. That you have to be willing to die to yourself, your own will, in order to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, the very entry point into this story is a reminder of that fact. Baptism, Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, is, is our way of reenacting the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That we die to ourselves and we are raised 
in newness of life with Him. With Simon's story here in Rome, in Acts chapter 8, frustratingly, we're not given the end of his story. He responds to Peter and says, you know, in verse 24, to pray that this doesn't happen. But that's the end. We, we don't know if Peter actually prays. We don't know if, if, if Simon's request is a genuine request, a, a genuine, genuine repentance, or is this just more of the same? But you still have a story that's being written. And you can write the end of that story. Are you going to follow what Simon says or what the gospel says? We're going to sing a song of invitation this time. And if there's a way that we can assist you in following what the gospel says, maybe you would like the prayers of some of our shepherds. They'll be gathered at the back of the worship center. Or maybe you need to die to yourself and you need to be baptized into Christ. We invite you to come as we stand and sing together.